You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 120. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, go to squarespace.com lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of the episode, I'm speaking with Jessica Freeman of JessCreatives.com about her experience with Squarespace. Now let's move on to life and how it's going before getting into the episode. Life for me is going well. The weather here in Michigan has been unusually warm, which is awesome. It's so nice not to have to wear a parka all the time and to see the sun. So I've definitely been enjoying the warm weather. And I've been planning some trips to warm places as well, or warmer places than Michigan, including Portland and Los Angeles. I'm going to Portland in February to do an interview for fizzle.co. Fizzle is awesome, and I love the guys there. We've had Corbett Barr on an episode of The Lively Show last year, and we have Barrett coming on The Lively Show coming up. So it's kind of like a Fizzle Lively Show thing lately, but I'm so excited to go support them and meet them in person in February. And then I have a conference to go to in Los Angeles in March and maybe doing some video blogging there as well. On the subject of video blogging, I know you guys have heard me talk about it. I have the camera. I have the editor. What I don't have is the ability to not look crazy while holding the camera and recording myself. I am not a selfie person. It's not really something I've ever really, really done. And I'm realizing that I need to seriously up my selfie game if I'm not going to look crazy while I hold the camera and talk into it. Alex and Mimi make it look so easy, but I am finding that is not the case for me. So I'm still learning the ropes when it comes to vlogging, but hopefully I'll have some videos out for you soon. And now on the subject of Alex and Mimi, today's episode is with Alex Icon of alexicon.com. Alex came on the show earlier this January to talk about all of his businesses and how he has gotten to where he is today, being the co-founder of businesses like Luxie Hair, The 5-Minute Journal, and his newest product, The Productivity Planner. Today, we're talking about the Productivity Planner practices that he has infused into this product. So whether or not we have the planner is irrelevant, but the practice is to stay productive and focused on the things that are most important to us throughout our workday or even just throughout our lives is the focus of today's show. And I really have appreciated some of the mindset shifts he helped me make through the episode itself, especially when I'm not being as productive or focused as I would like. And also this one tip that Charles Schwab, I love this story. He tells the story of Charles Schwab and how he paid $250,000 in today's money for one of the practices that's included in the Productivity Planner. And just hearing that story alone made me really want to give it a try. So I hope you especially give that little piece of this episode a shot in your own life. Let's go to the show. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Yeah, it's great to be here again. Because we've already talked about your background in depth in our last episode, let's start with the actual productivity planner itself and where this idea came from. Like any good idea, it comes from your own kind of struggle, your own problem in your own life. And I think being an entrepreneur and having to juggle so many things, coming from that whole you know dream lifestyle, the four-hour work week, and I kind of talk about that in my on my channel as well, like the four-hour work week myth and what it's all about. Because like Mimi and I have actually been fortunate enough to kind of live that lifestyle. 
And in reality, it's actually very tough. Once you actually create freedom in your life, you then realize that you need discipline, you need structure, you need systems in place in order to have like a better life. So it really just came from that struggle of just procrastinating, not doing tasks, knowing that there's an important task to do, but you just keep putting aside, putting aside because, you know, there's always tasks that you're like, oh, like, I don't want to do that. But many times when you do those tasks, it doesn't even take that long, but you just avoid it because it feels a certain way. So yeah, that's kind of how I was born. And me and UJ kind of just partnered on this again with uh, our intelligence change company. We thought, you know, how can we make productivity simpler? And Productivity Planner was born. So I want to go a little bit into this four-hour work week that you guys achieved because not a ton of people have done that. So did you really get it down to four hours? Uh, yeah, I'll say it was definitely about four hours. And then like, I know it was just a, like a book title. It was not in all seriousness that I was supposed to go to the four hour week. So even for Tim, he said he even worked two hours a week, but no one, I think, believed him that it can be even possible. Uh, so there was, I think, like when we started our business you know, now almost six years ago, that was the whole plan, all right? That was the dream, was like to achieve this four hour work week. And we got it down to that amount. And what I mean by work is like work that feels like work. Because there's a lot of things involved that, for example, even for us, let's say, taking Instagram photos or doing videos, a lot of times that doesn't feel like work. So it's fine for us. So the videos you weren't counting, it was just the managerial aspects? Exactly. Because if you think about it, like if we're out and about in south of France and filming, does that really work? It is, but I still don't consider that work. I remember Mimi mentioning in her episode, that's when she got depressed, actually when she had that lifestyle achieved in the south of France and she didn't have that meaning and structure to her life because it was just missing. Was that the same for you or how did you interpret that time? For me at that time, it was too early. So I would say Mimi is definitely a visionary in that regard. (laughs) Visionary to depression. No, in a way of like she feels things early where I in a way felt more responsible, meaning, hey, like it's still early. Yes, we're making money. Yes, we're south of France. But like, we're still in just month three of our business where, for example, is this for real? How long is this going to last? Is there is this like a seasonal business? Is this going for you know a few months, a year? How long can this last? So for me, I guess the depression really hit probably about you know two, three years after the South of France moment because it took for me to have a certain number in the, you know, in the bank and to buy my dream car. And after that happened, I'm like, okay, this is pretty depressing. Let's get out of it. Wait, you get the dream car. What's the dream car? Oh, it wasn't nothing fancy. It was just a BMW hardtop convertible, white. And both Mimi and I used to talk about in our gratefulness walks, right, that we'd have this car or have this certain amount of money and have this certain lifestyle we have. I think most people, even now, for you listening, in a way, it's an illusion. You know, in the U.S. recently, you had the whole mega millions or whatever it was, that jackpot. Everyone was going out and buying out tickets. It's like, oh, my God, if I just have a billion dollars or a few million dollars, a hundred millions of dollars, that's it. Like, my life would be set. I used to think like that as well, meaning I used to buy lottery tickets. And there's nothing wrong with buying lottery tickets. But in my opinion now, just being in my position and having gone through that hard time, I, and you can see this through just case studies, even lottery winners. That's probably the, one of the most challenging positions that you can ever be in psychologically. Because all of a sudden you achieve this freedom, but nothing has really changed. If you haven't really worked up to be in that place and have certain systems in place, 
it will really take you for a spin. And I think this is why overall, even right now, I feel that I used to be, you know, the whole like against corporate, against nine to five, against having an office and being free and all that stuff. Then now I realized how actually structure and systems and discipline can actually create more freedom in your own life and enable you to actually enjoy your life more. And this is crazy for me to be able to even to even say it. These kind of words of like structure and systems create freedom in your life. That's crazy for me to say, but it's true. And I guess even let's say productivity planner is it's one of those ideas that enables you to actually create freedom in your life. So you get the car and then you get depressed. What was the thought that made you depressed once you achieved the car? I think for a lot of just people in general, it's very important that we create certain goals or challenges for ourselves that we go on and to achieve. And in a way, it's kind of ingrained in us as human beings. And like I said, one of the reasons I think why so many people actually feel depressed or even say we were depressed at that moment is because we achieved our dream at that point. And say for Mimi, it was even earlier because that was, her, let's say, her dream before. And we've achieved it. And it's like, now what? It's just a shiny penny. It's not a value. It's just a thing that you achieved, but there's no underwriting value that's bringing the joy and fulfillment beneath it that's actually going to last. Exactly. So you said it so well. So that's why you have to, in a way, always be thinking, what is it? And it's very important not to also just like keep doing for new shiny thing because that's where a lot of people get lost as well. I think at that point, like I said, I didn't get the fanciest car, right? It's not like I was I had a Ferrari or something. Yeah, you could have got a Lamborghini. Yeah, I could have been like, oh, you know what? Maybe it's because I don't have a Lamborghini, right? I, the BMW is not enough. And But for a lot of people, it becomes that chase. It becomes that game, meaning, okay, they get a Lamborghini and they're like, oh, no, it's the Bugatti. It's 1.5 million. I think it's going to make me happier. It has 1,000 horses instead of 500. That will double my happiness. And they go there and then they say they fly business. They're like, no, no, I need a jet. And so it is always game, of course, you can do. And it can be fun and exciting. And you can be part of that game. But I think we really then had to rethink, what's the purpose of our lives? What are we doing it all for? It was a point to, in a way, to be self-aware, be like, am I just doing this just to make more money so I can just buy more stuff and do these kind of things? Is that really the point of it all? And it's a really personal journey for a lot of people listening right now. Be like, I don't relate to Alex, what he's saying, like, I just want a Ferrari, right? And, and I know people like that. I know people who are like, their dream was, is to buy a Lamborghini. And I know actually somebody personally, his whole business mission was to buy a Lamborghini. He did it. And I haven't spoke to him, but I'm pretty sure he's not as excited as he thought it would make him feel just to buy that material subject. But now, for example, now that we reevaluated the way we think and what's the overall arching purpose for our lives, which is to help and empower other people, for example, live better lives, which translates into products even like the five-minute journal, right? Or the product like the productivity planner. The most fun that I have even nowadays is kind of working on these kind of businesses. Or let's say this, we have an you know, underground project that Mimi and I have been working on for years now here in London. Even though it's such a challenge to sometimes make something happen, that by itself really drives you forward and allows you to, whether it is work late nights or work harder or do whatever it is, because you don't actually find it like it's work. 
But we have to be careful too, not to get too much of our identity coming from work itself. That's actually something I'm working on in my own research right now is work and worth and making sure we don't over-identify with the output we give to society exclusively in a work format to mean too much because then that can cause a lot of stress for certain people. Not everyone is, but I think that's like my little cautionary tale there for anyone who may be finding themselves emotionally tied to their self-worth being good when they feel like their career is going well and bad when they feel like their career is going bad. That can be a tricky cycle to fall into, especially in our society today. And what's also interesting for what you shared about the Lamborghini or the hardtop convertible, I can say that I went through the same journey of getting all my shiny pennies. They just looked very different. So maybe people listening may not be as attached to a Lamborghini or a car. For me, cars wasn't even on my shiny penny vision board. It was a puppy and getting married and having the apartment of my dreams and the wardrobe and all those other things. So they just look different. But like you, I found that once I got them, what was I going to do? Make uh, a shinier vision board and get and keep upgrading those? Or am I going to realize that that's not the way to fully feel fulfilled and joyful? And that's actually where I realized and did the work of figuring out life with intention online, the class that I run and, and teach that other approach. But for you guys, one of the things I know is one of your big values is actually in the name of your company, Dreaming and Creating. <laughs> there you have it in a way of us creating something that really goes beyond just work, meaning And I think you really make a great point. It is so important to not make your work and kind of your identity be so tied to that. I think it is, it's a tricky balance to have. And something that I'll be honest is something that I, of course, even Mimi and I are probably still figuring out right now because we're still, you know, fairly young. And it's really a journey that you go on through life. And most importantly, I think something that I figured out recently for myself is a lot of people, they want to reach that point of perfection in themselves right away. Meaning a lot of people are hard on themselves because they're not what they think they should be at this point in a certain perfect individual that they feel they should be. And what do I mean by that? I mean that truly life on itself, this is your kind of classroom, your university, your education, whatever it might be. Your whole life is that journey. So a lot of people are hard on themselves, especially you know if you're like, ambitious 20 something you're like oh my god like I, I don't have that relationship yet or that career yet and there's so many things tugging you from all direction and it's that expectation that you should have it all figured out now and that's what kind of a lot of times society makes us feel that we should have it figured out but in reality we don't and when we admit to ourselves that you know it's okay not to have everything figured out And what small steps can I take towards maybe becoming and learning to be a better person? Or maybe if you're not as organized, as productive, let's say I wasn't, I'm still figuring it out. Even the whole reason, for example, even bringing back to the productivity planner, the whole reason why that product is created is for myself. Or the whole reason why the five-minute journal is created is for myself in order to help me instill those habits and disciplines in my, in my own daily life that will enable me, for example, with the five-minute journal to be happier, to have more gratitude in my life. Or let's say in a product like the Productivity Planner, that will it's just a daily thing that I do on a daily basis to remind me, okay, what's most important? What should I actually be focusing on? That I shouldn't be rushing and doing all, all of these things all over the place and just focusing on one thing at a time. So let's get into the Productivity Planner. One of the things I love 
is that yes, we can go buy the productivity planner, which is beautiful because you do beautifully designed products, but we also can use these practices, whether we have your specific journal or not in our hands. So let's talk about the principles and practices that you decided to add to this planner specifically that you think really do help us live more productively in our careers. <laughs> For sure. I think, like you said, the most important thing is like when you're listening here is that you can implement what we put together here yourself in your own notebook, whether it be it's like you bought something from a dollar store and you can do the same technique. The productivity planner is really just built upon different techniques that we have found that have really helped us in order to have a better work day and to be more productive just in our daily lives. It's really simple. The whole idea was really born out of, you know, my partner, UJ Ramdas, he was the one that kind of introduced me to the Pomodoro technique. And I don't know if you know about the Pomodoro technique, but it's been a huge lifesaver in my own life. It's literally been like life before the Pomodoro technique and then life after the Pomodoro technique. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So the Pomodoro technique is, you know, born out of, there was this Italian gentleman, I believe his name is Francesco Cirillo. And like a lot of us, he's probably procrastinating on his studies and exams and, and has to get stuff done. So what he created it was just kind of took a tomato timer out of his kitchen and he said, you know, just for the next 25 minutes, all I'm going to do is just study because there's so many things that were, he was torn to do, whether you maybe watch TV or do something else or clean the house. But he's like, for the next 25 minutes, I'm just going to study. And he puts on this tomato timer and for the next 25 minutes, he focuses and just studies. And that time he figures out how effective it is when you kind of set a certain timeline for yourself and tell yourself for the next 25 minutes just do one thing and that's really the Pomodoro technique all the Pomodoro technique is is setting a timer for yourself whatever you feel comfortable with the reason he puts for example it's popular and it's kind of default to start with 25 minutes because it's not too short it's not too long and it kind of gives you that ability to kind of get in the flow and then after 25 minutes you take a five-minute break you stretch, you relax, you do whatever, you look out in the sky. And then if you're ready to go, you do another Pomodoro. And now, for example, even the way just we work in general, even in our workplace with teams, we refer to time as in Pomodoros. For example, how many Pomodoros did you do on that task? Really? Yeah, it becomes a really great measure of time because you know that it's not just like, oh yeah, I worked for that for an hour. But how much of that hour was actually focused? And what we've kind of personally found and what millions of people around the world have found with the Pomodoro technique, how effective it is, focused time is totally different from unfocused time. And that's what I mean about creating freedom in your life. You can be working eight hours a day, but realistically, how much of that day is actually focused time? We waste a lot of time in between just, just getting even prepared to start doing a task. And switching between tasks also takes up a lot of time. I've heard it said there was a study that was done about when you check your email, it takes people on average 11 minutes to get back to being fully focused on their task that they had stopped doing before that point. I think that's the number. It may be slightly off, but I think it's 11 minutes. I'm sure, but like, I think we can all relate, even without research, we can relate it in our own lives, right? What happens? I also remember, there was this monk and his name is Dandapani. You can look into him. He's a great guy. And we did a spiritual retreat with him in Nepal. 
And he also talks about that idea of how can you actually have more energy? And the reason, for example, we as individuals waste a lot of energy throughout the day is because we switch tasks. Meaning, if you look at your mind and your brain and how it functions, you know, there's different parts of your brain that do different kind of things still. There's many different areas and, and tasks. And if you're switching, let's say, from doing, let's say, a creative task to more, let's say, organized, different task, you, there's a certain distance or energy that has to be spent from go from one task to another. And a lot of people, they think they have unlimited energy throughout the day. But what's the reason that you have to go to sleep at night? Because you have a certain amount of fuel in the morning when you wake up. And as you go throughout the day, that fuel will be used up. If you don't use your fuel properly by switching tasks, you will then run out of energy pretty quickly. And that's what he's just kind of saying. In order to also help you be a more mindful person, it's very important to just do one task. Not only, for example, the Pomodoro technique and having an integrated productivity planner help you become more productive, but it can also help you become more mindful and to not have anxiety and to be all over the place. It really kind of trains you to just focus on one thing. Yes, my biggest thing and challenge with the Pomodoro technique, which I know you are so good at, is taking the break and not switching tasks to other screen time. So if I'm doing something on the screen, it's very tempting for me to want to use the five minute break for checking Instagram or looking at my email or looking at Twitter or doing something else that's still work related that is not really going on a walk. Like I know you like to use the five minutes to go outside and go on a walk. Any tips on how to help us, or at least myself, break the habit of switching to something that's still not really a full break? Yeah, and I'll be honest. You know, when you even say like you're good at this, and I'll be honest, I'm not good at this. What I mean by that is I'm always working on getting better and getting really good at it. This is, I think, where a lot of people, I think, why they give up so quickly is because they think, you know what? I keep failing, I'm, I'm not taking these breaks, or I'm not doing this, or I'm not even doing the Pomodoro thing. I turn on my timer, but I'm not really being focused. In a way, it's the same thing like mindfulness and meditation, meaning all you have to practice is becoming aware, meaning aware that, let's say you keep not doing your break. All you have to really be aware of is that moment when you catch yourself being like, hey Jess, I'm not really, like this is supposed to be a break, you're, you're not really taking a break. You're just doing other screen time. You know, what should you do? And then when you're having that conversation with yourself, you then kind of take your energy and pull yourself up and be like, hey, let me just do a quick walk around the block, right? All it takes, maybe you just do it like one time a day. And hey, that's a great start. You already should congratulate yourself for even doing that. And I'll be honest even with myself, like, do I do it consistently? Not always. But I do, even if I do once a day or twice a day, I already know, hey, because what happens is you're building these new habits and it takes a lot of work. But when you even do one little thing, you then start creating new kind of connections in your brain to link to your awareness. Like what feels good? Does it feel good for me to just keep browsing? Or do I feel better when I actually go outside or even just go out and look outside the window for five minutes or go walk around the block? What feels better? What brings up my energy and what actually allows me to refocus and whatever. So creating those new habits and new connections does take time. Don't give up early. And it just is all of my success has really led to me not being hard on myself. 
and me kind of be like, it's okay, I'll do it next time. I never thought to look at it like meditation because I meditate every morning. So I totally know the minute you said, catch yourself in those five minutes like you're meditating, or it even opened up my eyes to the concept of maybe I'm going to focus on (laughs) one minute of the five minutes is not going to be screen time. And like that is enough. Like even if I do it for four minutes, that that fifth minute doesn't have to be thrown out along with the other four, that I can still in that moment recommit and do a little bit of it. So thank you for that. I really connect to that idea. To apply it here, I never even thought to do so. For people listening as well, it's the same thing with meditation. For example, a lot of reasons why people don't do meditation is because, you know, they try meditating. They're like, "Uh, this is not working. I'm not really focused. My thoughts are going all over the place. But like, this is cool. That's part of meditation, right? It's like, even if you have in 10 minutes, 30 seconds of stillness, like that's already amazing. And I think it's the same thing that we're really trying to pass down to productivity in a way of, you know, society and everything that is created, even from your cell phone to your computer, everything is really designed, especially on the web, to take away your attention. So notifications on your phone, notifications on your Facebook, whatever it might be, on your computer, they're all vying and they're all, think about it, there's hundreds if not thousands of people at Facebook designing how they can grab your attention more. You're really fighting against not only these thousands of employees at these design firms, seeing how they can design something to take away your attention more. You're also going against kind of behavior research because these people are smart. It's their business to try to steal your attention and to get your attention onto whether it be their ads or on their platform. And it's, it's about you kind of now taking that responsibility back and be like, you know what? I want my kind of mind back and my brain back so that I can help myself accomplish and create the things that I want to exist in the world. Tying it all back to the productivity planner, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, Alex, how do you have so many businesses? You know, like I'm saying, even for myself, like I'm pretty young. I'm not saying I have that many, you know, Richard Branson has way, way more, but it's still pretty great. You know, we have a product like the Five Minute Journal. We have now the productivity planner. We have Luxie Hair. We have, let's say, dreamers and creators here in London. We have kind of, we invest, we do other things. We travel, we live a really good life just personally as well. So it's like, how do we make that all happen? How do you actually manifest and actually create products? Because one of the most important things is, you know, it's important to, and that's why we even call, you know, our company here, Dreams and Creators. It's important to dream. It's important to have a vision. It's important to have a vision board. It's important to have an intent. But in order to make all those dreams happen, you also have to have daily action in your daily life that will manifest those things into real life like we have already been able to do so. The thing that most importantly has helped us kind of create that is going back daily. And this is what the Productivity Planner does, right? It's just really the technique that we've been doing now for years, which is when you go in to your workday, your first task is what's the most important task of the day? And you do that first. And this is probably one of the most pivotal and the hardest thing to do is because you, for years, I always have a to-do list. As we all know, we pick the stuff that we want to do on our to-do list, not really what we have to do on our to-do list that will actually enable us and make us move forward towards achieving that, creating that business or creating that dream that whatever we may have in our minds. I'll kind of quickly cover the structure of the Productivity Planner so that you can get a better idea of what the day really consists of. Is that okay? 
Yeah, I'd love to hear also how you do it on Sundays and start that work week in the first place as well, because I know you have content there too. The week really begins with, you know, and like you mentioned, of course, it's always best to plan before the week starts. And if you can do that on Sunday night, that'll be great. I'll be honest, this is something that I'm working myself towards as well. Am I doing this right now? I'm not. However, once again, I don't beat myself up for it. So if I'm doing this Monday morning, it's still okay. I'm a Monday morning person too. I think for me, I really like the checkout as much as possible on the weekends and not to be working in my head ahead of time. So I'm a Monday morning person too, but I know you guys have shared that you'd like to do it or ideally would like to get to a Sunday. Yeah, ideally, of course, it is great to do it before Sunday night. So when, when you come in Monday morning, you're rolling. Like yourself personally, I'll be honest, I'm still a Monday. I do this on a Monday, meaning I plan my week on a Monday. However, all we do with like even our company, Intelligence Change, and, and with these products, we really distill all the kind of you know research and knowledge that have already exists from actual proven studies, what has worked the best for people, and then we kind of simplify it and instill into our products. So you start the week, and then you plan your week. So you, we have in that week planning session just 15 tasks. The reason we limit tasks to just 15 and not more, and this is just a common theme just throughout the Productivity Planner, is people overextend themselves all the time. And once again, they make themselves feel guilty for it. And then they just give up. And I think so many dreams are squashed. It's good to have big, hairy, audacious goals or, and big visions. But you also have to understand, like even in a recent book that I've, I've been reading, Scaling Up, in order to get to the peak, you know, say Everest, There'll be, you know, there'll be moments where there's, where you go up, you go down. There's like base camps. You chill out, you relax, you acclimatize. Then you go in at it again. There's kind of peaks and troughs. And this is just something to kind of maintain. And in order to kind of really reach your limits and your heights, you kind of have to separate your big goals into small little tasks. And we don't, like with Productivity Planner, it's more of a, like a daily planner, meaning what are you doing for the day? Our future product will actually be enabling you to, for example, to have kind of longer term vision, but this is more for the day. So anyways, so 15 tasks and you said, what are your five most important tasks of the week? And then you list those. And then, okay, what are the next five tasks after those tasks? And you know, the reason it's important to put your most important tasks first is that you know what really needs to get done this week. And then, for example, you move on to your day. And the way the Productivity Planner is structured, and you can go on our website, productivityplanner.com, you'll find more information there. But the way your daily is structured, and this is the most important thing, is that you're, there's only maximum three to five tasks in a day. And how do we come up with this? Like, why three to five tasks in a day? Well, there's this gentleman, his name was Ivy Lee, and he was actually one of the kind of godfathers of public relations and he's helped many people, consulted them in, in not only public relations but also just in business. So Charles Schwab from Bethlehem Steel, and this is more than 100 years ago, kind of came to Ivy Lee and said, we were growing our business and we need our workers to be more productive. What can we do for us to be more productive and get more work done? So Ivy Lee then kind of thinks about it and then he tells Charles Schwab, okay, I'm going to give you a technique, but here's the thing, you have to put it into use. And when you put it into use, pay me whatever you feel it's worth after some time. So Charles Schwab's like, all right, cool, handshake, deal. The technique that he gave to Charles Schwab was simple. He said, make sure that your workers plan the night before. This is also a great secret. 
plan the night before, a maximum of three to five tasks that they will accomplish next day on the scale of priority, meaning the most important task number one, and only move to task number two once they've completed the task number one. That was the only advice that Ivy Lee gave to Schwab. And guess what happened? Some time has passed. Charles Schwab was like, that was brilliant. My workers are so much more productive. And he gave him a check for, at that time, worth about $25,000, which is now worth more than like a quarter of a million dollars in, in today's dollars. The reason that I bring up the story and what it communicates is how a simple formula like that of just doing three to five tasks a day and having just doing the most important tasks first can really help you move forward along the way. This is what we really kind of put together in the productivity planner is like we married the Ivy League method, which is doing three to five tasks a day and doing most important tasks first. And when we talk about most important tasks first, we also say, you know, if you just did this one thing today, you'd be satisfied. And what we have personally found and what what people have found that have been using this method is, you know, you may not get to all your tasks. However, when you have the most important task being done, things actually move forward. So even, for example, when we were creating the productivity planner, you know, my most important task every day was, for example, you know, design certain things for the productivity planner. And yeah, there's things that are being ignored. And that's the reality thing. When you actually get to focus, other things may fall alongside. But the most important thing will be getting done that will actually move you toward making something a reality. Because most people right now, you know, we get carried away by emails, social media, or even or even like emails is like a lot of times it's other people's to-dos and you have to do them. So I'll be honest, my email like went by the wayside. I ignored my email when I was going full in on the most important thing. And that has allowed me to then create a product that not only, for example, helps us financially, but also helps other people. And I think this is one of the most important things for people to just understand is in order to succeed, it's very important to have kind of a singular task focus for you to in order to make dreams possible. So when you have 15 things and you have four companies, <laughs> how are you determining what things you're doing? Do you have team members to delegate to on your team that get through the other 15 things that need to be done for each of the other companies? Yeah, of course. Like the most important thing is to have, even with other businesses, it's important to have other partners who you can rely on to move things forward. So for example, with Intelligent Change, my role in the company is more of the creative direction and creating these kind of products in a way of how they actually look, how they feel. And that's what I, I truly love doing. And then UJ, for example, he then brings together, of course, the operations of it and actually gets things rolling. And, and of course, he, we, we contribute together. We work together towards refining ideas. And he also does a tremendous deal towards research and copy and everything else. But it's, I think it's, it's having people on your team who can, you can then delegate certain tasks to who then will bring it forward to their, let's say, productivity planner. You know, productivity planner is something that we've also introduced to our team. And I'll be honest, like productivity planner, it will make life easier. But at the first, it'll make things very difficult. It'll make you more self-aware where your time is actually going. Because once you start filling in those Pomodoros, you're like, oh, crap. I thought that only takes me like five minutes to do, but that takes me 25 minutes to do. 
Or in some good cases, you thought, oh my God, I thought that was going to take me two hours, but it only takes me 25 minutes. I did that when I was procrastinating on one thing because I thought it was going to take me half the day and it really only took me half an hour. So what I'm trying to say is you then also see how much focus time do you actually have in a day? And for example, for even me personally, and what I found out as I was using the productivity planner and the Pomodoro technique, in reality, in a day, if I get about, you know, eight to 10 Pomodoros, which is, you know, four to five hours of productive work done a day, meaning focused time, this is an amazing productive day. Because most people think like all eight hours are productive, but the reality is all eight hours are not productive for most people because, and your brain, going back to that thing I shared with Dandapani and the energy, your brain can only focus for so long in a day. And this is why it's so important for you to also understand when are your most kind of uh, productive times. For example, for me, I know personally that I'm most productive before lunchtime. This is why I try to do all my most important tasks in the morning, meaning I don't try to do my emails in the morning. I try to do tasks that will enable me to actually move the needle forward, let's say in product creation or in other things that I'm working towards. Yeah, actually, I've gone to a conference here in the U.S. It was Amber Housley's AH Inspired, and I was totally inspired personally by the number of female mother business owners who shared again and again in these conversations we were having how much they were able to, they kind of did the Pomodoro by accident, by the fact of having children, and often were being still, I don't even know how they were doing this, but still being the primary child caregiver in their homes at the same time they're running these businesses. And they said a lot of them mentioned how much more productive they are now that they're mothers and they use the time when the children are napping or when the babysitter might be there for a few hours a week to execute on all of these things that they used to take 40 to 50 hours to do during their day before they had children, which kind of does, I think, in its own way, validate your idea of, you know, this focused energy is at even four to five hours, probably significantly more effective than the eight hours if we're not focused during that time. Exactly. And what I'm even for me, myself, like I said, I'm really excited for kind of the productivity planner to also be out and then people putting into use because then we can see from say case studies, how is it being effective? We can then gather the kind of the overall data and people's experience to see how it works and how it's making the people's days more effective. I'll be honest, a lot of times myself personally, I tend to be the guy who likes to put in a lot of hours, meaning I like to be in the office, you know, until even let's say for some people it's not late, but let's say it's still 7 or 8 p.m., right, when the regular day ends at 5 or 6. And I'm like, yeah, I'm staying late, but it might actually be more productive by staying late. Because a lot of times I know somebody else who, his name I believe is Stephen Arcel, and he has a, he, he was on Shark's Tank, and he has this, Mark Cuban backed him, he has a stand-up paddleboarding company. And his workday at his company is 8 to 1. And the whole premise of having an eight to one workday is he's like, hey, guys, if we can actually go in, be focused, not have our cell phones or social media and actually just do work, we can then create more freedom into our lives by not just being here all this time. And although I haven't yet put in such kind of things into my own kind of workplaces, I believe through discipline and through focus, people can actually create more freedom in their lives and in their workday. Do you do the Pomodoros back to back to back to back until lunch? Or do you take any longer breaks, that longer than five minutes in between a few? 
you know, the, the thing of having an open plan workspace and how that, having other people and, and being still kind of a leader in charge, you can be interrupted many times. So a lot of times, you know, I may be, for example, I'm, I take my break, but then somebody pulls me in and gets me to do, some, do something else. And then my kind of break extends. In my own experience, that's when I've been able to be most productive. And this is going back to that whole attention thing. That's why it's important, even what I do sometimes in the office, I'll go to a different room and I'll be like, you know, kind of my back to the door. And people know like, hey, Alex is doing his pomodoros, he's working, and it's better to keep him there just by himself. And then after an afternoon, I'm more kind of what I do even, let's say with this, I usually only have calls after lunch. I don't book any calls or meetings before lunch because I know that's more of my most productive time and I don't want anybody to kind of uh, interrupt me. Although I really wouldn't want our partners to hear this from the US. What I mean is because we're in London right now, a lot of times I call them on their morning time, but they don't know maybe this little hack of themselves of mornings actually being more productive for individuals. But I think one thing just to keep in mind just for people about productivity it really takes trial and error in yourself to find out what works for you. So as I mentioned, for example, for yourself and I, we're most productive in the morning. For some people, it may be true that maybe they get a burst of energy in the afternoon instead of the mornings, and in the mornings they feel groggy and it's not their thing. They may then position their calls to be in the morning and their actual focus time to be in the afternoon because that works better for them. So I think the most important rule is not to have rules. Like, and it's just my kind of thing to life is that don't take everything literally. Put it, practice into your own life. See how it works out. Of course, give it a, a good amount of trial period. You know, I'll say even let's say a month. is. <laughs> I know it's a big thing to commit to where you can start up a week. But sometimes there's a lot of resistance that comes with building a habit at the beginning. So that's why I say a month is a better time. But if you really put something into play into your daily practice as a habit for a month and see how it works out and see if it's helping you out or not, you then have a better idea to judge if it's effective or not. Even recently, Mimi's sister, Layla, she gave birth to you know a baby and they have a baby now. She recommended this book. She's like, this is the greatest book. Uh, you guys should all read it in the future when you have babies. And it's called Bring Up Baby. And so it's about this American woman who lives in Paris and brings up this baby and she sees how French parenting is different from American parenting. But the reason I bring this up is she said a lot of kids, for example, and say in the US, they say they're picky eaters, meaning they won't eat certain foods. However, what uh, one, for example, I believe this researcher and critic has found, there was like this famous food critic and he said, I would never eat for example, sardines or these other foods, and he was always against it. But then he, what he did is if you eat a certain amount of food for some time, you're then, your palate, your taste actually get accustomed to it, and you may actually start to begin to like that food. So the same thing with kids. Bringing it back, for example, the most important thing was just because your kid rejects it the first time doesn't mean he doesn't like broccoli right? It just his, maybe his taste, his palate doesn't like it at first. And what they did instead is they would say, I don't care if you eat the whole meal, but what I do care about that when you eat, you just have a bite of what is on your plate, meaning you taste it. As for example, these kids taste the food more, they then get more accustomed to it and then they begin to eat it. 
So how do I transfer this into productivity and into just your own daily life? Same thing with productivity, kind of even productivity planner or different kind of things, life hacks that you can instill into your own life. A lot of times there will be a lot of resistance when you try to do a thing like the Pomodoro technique or there will be resistance when you try to work on the Ivy Leave method of doing the most important task first because it's not pleasant to do the most important task first. It's more fun to check Instagram and email. <laughs> exactly. But what you will find with time, even for myself, being honest, I don't always do the most important task first. However, I'm self-aware enough to know that, hey, Alex, okay, you did that, but you know that you would have been way more productive if you did the most important task. And then you kind of, you go back to it. Like I said, it's this whole idea of tasting and bringing it to your life and not having the idea that you will succeed right away. You will be more productive right away because it's with time and effort that you really build up your kind of muscle. And even going back to the whole idea of working in Pomodoros and, or in focused times, it will be tough at the beginning working on one task for even 25 minutes. But then as certain people, they get, you get better at it. Then one of the things that we recommend, for example, is actually increasing and working out what is a better time frame for you. Because for some people, they'll be like, 25 minutes is too short for me. I'm just getting into the rhythm. And then doing that break after 25 minutes breaks my flow. So we're like, okay, it's cool. So some, then some people, for example, they do a 30-minute load or they do, let's say, 35 or even 45 minutes. Or even some people like to do 45 minutes and then they take breaks for 15 minutes. So what I'm saying is don't be really put into a box be open enough to experiment and to find your own rhythm. And it's okay if it doesn't happen right away. However, only this individual approach will allow you to actually create a system for yourself that better suits your needs. And this is, like I said, even with the productivity planner, the productivity planner is really like, I, we always create products, most importantly, for ourselves, because it helps us. I believe if a product helps me, it will help other people like me. Well, so will I be able to serve every person in the world? Most likely not, because not all people like to work like me. I know that most likely there's hundreds of thousands, not millions of people who will dramatically benefit from putting in such a method into their daily lives. And like I said, people don't even have to buy the productivity planner, right? They can just try it out in their own notebook and do it themselves. Exactly. For anyone who does want to play with other time frames instead of the 25-minute magic number, I used 90 minutes on and 30 minutes off as a really great way to chunk writing as I was working on writing the book. So feel free to try that too. It's a totally different framework and it's depending on the work you're doing. But if you're trying to write, for example, I don't know, I found that that rhythm really worked for me and that 30 minutes really gave me enough time to do something really substantially different, like maybe do some weight exercises or get ready for work or have a meal in that time and then come back even more refreshed. But of course, there was longer periods of focus. So if it doesn't work for you, go to a shorter time frame. But also, you can feel free to ratchet it up and play with that time frame too. Since you mentioned this, what are some other productivity hacks that you have? Oh, way to put me on the spot. I enjoy and think a lot about, but do I implement as much as I would like? No. But I will say, have you read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? I read it when I was young. Oh, Alex? Go reread it. You will be amazed at all the layers of it that you get this time around. Even just the first three habits alone, so good. But the third habit, put first things first. He talks about the four quadrants of our lives. 
Quadrant one is important and urgent, like a fire would be important and urgent to put out. Quadrant two is important but not urgent, like working out. It's not urgent that you work out today, but if you don't work out for 20 years, that may become urgent and important if you have a heart attack. So it's important for you to do things to care for your body, but it's not necessarily urgent. Then number three is urgent, but not important. That might be the dinging of our phone alerts or the updates of email coming in all the time and checking that, or even a phone call that's interrupting our flow would be urgent because it's happening right now, but not necessarily important. And then the fourth one is not urgent and not important. And he talks about how we want to create and shift our focus from focusing exclusively on quadrant one, fighting the fires of our lives, the things that are urgent, important. And number three quadrant, the things that are urgent but not important, that's where most of our time tends to go. But the magic sauce is in quadrant two, doing the important but not urgent things that prevent things from getting into quadrant one and are really the things that move the needle, as you say. All that stuff that's the biggest priorities that may not be needed to be done today, if we can structure our lives and work days around those things in that quadrant, we will prevent a lot of stress and just change our whole quality of our lives and effectiveness, right? Effective people is the promise of that book. So I don't do that as much as I'd like, but I'm very aware of those quadrants and saying, you know, where am I spending my time and being aware of that? can be helpful, especially when you start to notice what the quadrant, the three things are that you really want to wean out of your system. But I'm still probably right now very much in quadrant one. However, one thing I'm doing is delegating. So I am hiring a new assistant and she's starting work next week, which I'm so excited about because she's going to help take a lot of those quadrant one and quadrant three-ish and some of quadrant two off of my plate. So I'll have more time to not worry about quadrant one and focus on quadrant two. So that's going to be helpful just to have that extra time in my week. Let's say she's doing five hours of work that I typically would do. That's giving me five extra more hours in my work week, which is almost the majority of a full extra day of time, not doing email, for example. She's going to be doing email, which can take me easily five hours a week. Just in doing that, I'm hopefully going to have eight more Pomodoros to work on other things. So that's something that obviously not everyone has the ability to do if they're not in a place of scale with their careers. But that's one thing I'm I'm working on. Yeah, no, I, that's a great way to do it. I think the most important thing that you're saying is for you to still, as an individual, to doing the most important things that will move the most needle for you, not the most urgent stuff. And the, the only advice I can give to that is if you don't have the ability to have support, at the moment, or you haven't done it, even myself, I don't always have that support. And when I don't, I think it's okay to, for yourself to let some things go to like, to the side, like your email. So for example, if you were focusing on your book, and the most important thing for you to do is to complete your book, maybe you will avoid those emails, right? And some people won't get urgent responses and things like that. However, it will enable you to then create something that will not only enable you to say move your message further and help more people it will just create a better life for you as well down the road because those other things you'll be able to handle anyways like emails they'll never go away they'll always be there (laughs) 
I know it's, it's totally the case even right now as I'm focusing on fighting the quadrant one fires of my career up until this point before the assistant begins. There's definitely quadrant two. Well, there are emails that are important, but they're not urgent that I don't answer in a timely way because they're just sitting there waiting for me to have the time to do it because I'm so busy fighting the fires and getting the deliverables out on time that and actually the book itself is in quadrant two. Like there's no impending fire that's going to happen if it doesn't get done at this exact time. So of course, it's getting pushed to the wayside as I focus on quadrant one and quadrant three stuff. So it's definitely something I'm still working through. That's my doubts or internal resistance <laughs> I'm working on. What would you tell anyone who's just starting out on the productivity journey? Like, like I said throughout this episode is that take it easy on yourself, meaning people are very hard on themselves. And I think a lot of people don't achieve or don't become more productive or just they don't create what they want to have in their life because they beat up on themselves because they're not this perfect person yet or this most productive person or this most organized person. And kind of me coming from my humble beginnings, this is something that I keep reminding myself. It's like, you can fail, but it's like your next step is all that matters. So as long as you get up, try again or you you weren't that productive in that pomodoro well try on the next one your focus went away on that meditation it's all right bring it back all that matters is that moment of self-awareness when you catch yourself hey i'm not living my life to the fullest or i'm not being productive here i'm wasting my time those are actually important insights that you have yourself that will guide you towards bringing yourself back into becoming a better person. So don't beat up on yourself. Be like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm not, I'm, I'm not organized. I'll never be able to do this. Instead, be like, hey, it's cool. Now it's my turn to take the next step and go further with it. Yeah, that's my big takeaway from this is you helping me realize that when I'm not doing the breaks <laughs> in the way that they're intended, which is to really actually step away from the work, I can just do that in every moment and just come back to it and recognize like meditation that I just got to get back in the game in this moment and that that other moment has already passed and I can't do anything about it, but to re-engage now. Exactly. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you. Have a great day. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Alex, thanks for coming on the show again. If you'd like to send Alex a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Alex Icon. And if you'd like to send me a message on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can send it to me at Jess C as in Charles Schwab Lively. And for show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash Alex Icon 2, I-K-O-N-N, then the number two. Now, before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's speak with Jessica Freeman of JessCreatives.com about today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jess. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a graphic and web designer living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I work with entrepreneurs and small businesses to help them with their branding and web design. And do you live alone in your home or do you have any pets or partners? I live with my husband, Aaron, and we have a one-year-old puppy named Morgan. What kind of puppy? He's a Cocker Spaniel. Yeah. How old? He is one year old and he's in his toddler phase creating some problems. That's definitely like the rebellion teenage angst kind of. Yes. And this morning I caught him chewing up a piece of paper. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too important. No, not super important. So with your web design and your graphic design background, why did you choose Squarespace? 
I chose Squarespace because originally I was just a graphic designer. I wasn't offering web services yet. And so Squarespace was a very easy platform for me to learn and to host my website. I have a very static website, just a blog and my portfolio. So I don't need something robust with membership and selling products and that kind of thing. And what do you love about Squarespace the most? I love its flexibility and how easy it is to use. I can change colors and fonts with just a few simple clicks. And I know that for your client projects, when you're doing web design for them, you also use Squarespace. Why do you do that? Yes, I use Squarespace for a lot of my client sites because I work with a lot of people who are not super tech savvy and they just need to make some updates without hiring me again. So whenever I build the websites, I also teach them how to update it. And it doesn't take very long because it's just a few clicks for, okay, here's a text box, upload an image, change your font, and that kind of thing. You're kind of building yourself out of your own business, though. Well, yes, but I also want to be very helpful for my clients. And I don't want them to feel constrained to me. Like, they have to email me all the time to make one little update. Yeah, that is kind of the bugaboo of using other more complicated sites. Yeah, it is. So I just want the point of a website is for it to look good and function well. But if it's pretty, but it's outdated, there's no point to it. So I want my clients to be able to update it easily. And what would you tell other people who are thinking about building a new blogger website themselves? I would say definitely check out Squarespace. It's so easy to use and it's easy to update. And there are a ton of tutorials out there and free courses. So it's so easy to set up. For anyone who wants to give it a try, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively for your free 14-day trial. And if you like it and you're getting started with it, you're actually using it and you want to move forward, use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. So Jess, where can people go to find you online if they want to see your work? My website is justcreatives.com. And then on Twitter, I'm also justcreatives. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jess. Thank you for having me. And now for a sneak peek, next week on the show, we are having, drum roll please, Elisa Vitti back on the show. Elisa is the episode that has created many conversations throughout other episodes of The Lively Show since then. She is the hormone expert who talks a lot about how to regain your flow, how to eliminate PMS symptoms, and how to get your hormones in sync with your life instead of fighting them. You can listen to her episode at jesslively.com slash Elisa VD if you'd like to learn more about her before next week. But we are having a two-part episode on Tuesday and next Thursday for Valentine's Day as a little special all about pleasure leading up to Valentine's Day. This is not necessarily just the in-the-bedroom type of pleasure, though we do touch on that as well. This is about pleasure in all forms. Elisa has been working with me since our last episode that has come on the air to hopefully get my cycle back and all of that stuff you've heard about before. But really, most fascinatingly lately, as we have been working and coaching on the concept of pleasure, and I'm so excited to share this subject with you. This is the perfect episode for pre-Valentine's Day, because at first I was thinking, do I do an episode that's for the singles in the show, or do I do an episode for the people that are in a relationship on the show? Problem solved. Pleasure is for everyone. So I'm so excited to speak on this subject. So no matter what your relationship status or what your propensity to like or dislike Valentine's Day may be, this is going to be a good one. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 